Our high school guidance counselor used to ask us what you would do if you had a million dollars. It didn't have to work. And then invariably, whatever you'd say, that was supposed to be your career. So if you wanted to fix old cars, then you're supposed to be an auto mechanic. So what did you say? I never had an answer. I guess that's why I'm working at Inatech. No. You're working at Inatech because that question is bull to begin with. If everyone listened to her, there'd be no janitors because no one would clean up if they had a million dollars. If I had a million dollars. If I had a million dollars. Talking about millions of dollars. What would you do if you had a million dollars? I'll tell you what I'd do, man. Two chicks at the same time, man. We're living in a material world and I am a material girl. Or boy. Well, what about you now? What would you do? Besides two chicks at the same time? Well, yeah. Nothing. Nothing, huh? I would relax. I would sit on my ass all day. I would do nothing. Well, you don't need a million dollars to do nothing, man. Take a look at my cousin. He's broke. Don't do If I had a million dollars. If I had a million dollars. Okay, Saxon Jack, sometime else. Andrew on the board. S&P futures are up 25. Nasdaq futures are up 93. We kept trying to go down yesterday. Couldn't really go down, but then we couldn't really come back up either. We came back a little bit on the close. It was kind of a nothing day, a little bit to the downside. And had a feeling that we might we might be up today, and we are. It doesn't mean, of course, I bought anything, Kevin. You know, why, why would I do something like that? You don't uh, want to. <coughs> by the way, uh, Mr. Kevin O'Neill is in studio this morning, and he's going to probably tell you some story about it. He's here for a, a big educational conference in town. And, you know, it might be somewhat true, but I found out the real reason. Kevin is a soccer fan. He was on his way to Qatar, or Qatar. And uh, now he found out that Qatar is banning beer at the World Cup stadiums in a dramatic reversal two days before the tournament starts. So he's elected to stay home. That would be the ultimate deal killer. Oh, God, yeah. So Anheuser-Busch paid a fortune for this. What, what is the deal? <laughs> did, you, did you see this? No, I have to look at it. Uh, um, so they just said, no, that's not, that's not what we do? Um, the conservative gas-rich Muslim nation does not fully ban alcohol for visitors, but its sale and consumption is strictly controlled. I knew it was going to be uh, only in certain spots in the stadium, plus beer over there by law, since it's so friggin' hot, it has to be refrigerated the whole time you store it. So, and anybody, any place in the stadium where they sold it could not even have a sign-up. That'd be like word of mouth, but in the big hotels, there you go. Alcohol is typically only allowed in a handful of specifically licensed hotels and restaurants and away from street view. Budweiser's non-alcoholic beer, Bud Zero, will continue to be sold at all eight of the country's World Cup stadiums, the statement said. So you can back off the fake beer, Kevin. So it's welcome to the World yeah. Cup. Hope you like Drek. Yeah, I mean, what is the... I don't, I don't, I don't get that. First of all, why would anybody go there? I mean... It, What's the temperature today? 125 every day or something? Even even like now? Actually, it seems <laughs> seems intriguing, <laughs> considering what we have. Um, our buddy Fari uh, used to say <clears throat> that actually if there was such a thing, he was didn't really commit on whether there is or there isn't, but he said if there was such a thing as global warming, <clears throat> those places, when I say those places, some places in the Middle East, Qatar, one of them, he says it normally gets to like 125, 123, 127, somewhere in there. And his, his point was, is he, the guy's from Iran, so he knows kind of what, I think what he's talking about, at least in this area. And uh, I think he said, Kevin, if it actually started to make it to 132, 134, you can't live there. Camels, camels cannot exist at that temperature, and neither can uh, like lizards and you name it, everything else. I mean, once you, once you get into the 30s, it's, you can't, 
virtually no organism can hang in. Not, at least none, none that we care about. I mean, there's, you know, there's a huge difference between 118, evidently, and 132, 14 degrees. Well, and, you know, as I'm looking at this CNBC article, it says uh, Cutter's hosting the tournament, which is expected to bring an estimated 1.2 million tourists, has been marred with controversy and criticism over a number of issues. These include workers' rights, visitor capacity issues, cultural and religious restrictions, and the fact that for the first time in history the World Cup is taking place in the winter rather than the summer due to the country's extreme heat during its summer months. So this is the workaround. Well, that, that place is close enough to the equator. Do they really have a winter and a summer? I don't think so. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, aren't they right on, they got to be right on damn near the equator, I would think. Uh, they probably have like two seasons, winter and January. Well, uh, could be. So uh, what... What brings you to town? It was an interesting group last night. We met at one of the local, uh, the official drinking hole of Stocks and Jacks, Triple E Tap, and uh, uh, Kevin brought some of his deans and all your superiors. And they wanted to, and they had a, we, had a, we had a good time. It was a little loud because it was so crowded in there, but other than that, I, uh, I enjoyed meeting them. What, so what is, what is the conference and what is, is it a teaching conference? Is it, is it all other schools like you guys? Are, are there students there or all of the above? Well, it's an outfit called CAEL, C-A-E-L, and I'm not going to get into what that stands for because I don't know it, remember it off the top of my head. But <clears throat> the uh, the conference is all about adult learning, and uh, uh, and and how do you work in uh, uh, credit for uh, prior experience, um, different kinds of experiential learning approaches. One of the, you know one of the things that everybody understands, uh, in at least in the education world, is that there is a difference between how you teach children and how you teach adults. Um, the, uh, uh, the terminology is uh, uh, pedagogy and andragogy. Set that aside. The point is how you teach adults is one thing. How you teach people who are coming back to school to acquire new skills and haven't been in school for 20 or years or more is f- full of its own challenges. Um, and, uh, and and so uh, I am sitting in session after session uh, on, on how to work that out, how to build curriculum property uh, properly, how to design courses uh, that work. Um, you still have to cover the material, you still have to learn, but you have to meet the students where they are, and that's uh, that's a you know that's a really who teaches these clips? How do you become how do you become an expert at that? Just kind of like trial and error and doing uh, it a while. Or I what? am sure it's people who it, well, I, I'm more than sure I, it's people who have been doing it for a while. Uh, there are people exactly what you said who have tried different things, and through five years, ten years, twenty years of experience, depending on what they have. Um, have uh, come up with um, uh, routines and, and techniques that work. So uh, you, you were mentioning uh, last night over the, over the din um, that you know obviously your your other schools, well your, your standard schools, you're in for four years and you get out with quote a degree, and you guys uh, you guys your 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 strategy is a little different. Sometimes if somebody is is uh, you know, he's slugging boxes, although I don't know if people do that anymore. Uh, in, a, in a warehouse, he might come to you for, to you, for to your place for a, uh, is, is it everything, 
What's the, what's the shortest certificate? It, it's called a certificate. So you, uh, um, community colleges typically have certificates, technical certificate, which is half of an associate's degree, and then a couple of brands of associates, one that is sort of an end unto itself and another one that is designed to give you the right courses you need to transfer into a uh, four-year college seamlessly so and, have, and have all those credits accepted. So, for it's instance, like a we, we have... classical junior college. Yeah, we, we and so um, we have, uh, you know, when I talk about the ones where you transfer seamlessly, we have curriculum approved by the state so that um, it will, everything will transfer to a state school. So if I have a student who wants to go to IU South Bend or IU Port Fort Wayne, Ball State, or Indiana University, once you're accepted, all your all your credits come across without question. I mean, nobody nobody questions it. It's it just is in the bank. Um, whereas a standard associate's curriculum, they might say, well, you didn't take the right chemistry class or the right science class or something, so you have to retake. Um, so that's part of it. But what what let's go back to what your question was. Um, but what I talk to, especially with the adults, but even with some of the high school kids, um, what I talk to them about is, is on-ramp, off-ramp, on-ramp, off-ramp. That's, that's, that's a way to think about it. So let, let's just take a high school kid, but this could just as well be an adult who wants to, you know, skill up. I've been working in the warehouse for a lot of years. I, you know, I would like to become a supervisor. I want to become a manager, you know, et cetera. So you come to us and you get, uh, you might want to get your supply chain certificate embedded and embedded in that certificate we have industry recognized certifications. So you take my logistics class, um, you're going to get to sit for the exam to be a certified logistics technician. You take our procurement class, uh, you're going to have get a chance for next level purchasing association certification and on and on. We have a quality management belt, we have a transportation cert and so these are all great line items on the resume. Um, it is the kind of credential that you know would easily say uh, that this person is trained in from you know work coming into the uh, in, into the factory or warehouse to work going out and understands all the functions in between. Is it a year, six months, two years? I can do that in easily a year for someone who's working um, one one school year. So you know make it you know nine and a half, ten months, um, and. and you know what I do is I run a Saturday program so that uh, so that they can come in on Saturday mornings and just knock this stuff out when they're not you know when it's when they're available. But you can do it online. There's lots of ways you can do it. Anyway, you get the certificate, and okay, off ramp, go back to work, go back to work, get that promotion. Now, if you start seeing yourself as you know wanting to move up in management, maybe at some point you'll be a plant manager. Come back, get the associates. And if you see yourself as being VP of operations, let's take that through and get you situated at, uh, for your bachelor's degree. So, uh, you know, it's, it, there, there's a lot of people who are in that situation. And, and just to circle back when I say the high school kids, you know, I, we, we have uh, stuff we're working on right now with some of the local high schools where they can get that certificate, that first credential, um, as they graduate from high school. Um, and the credits will apply to both. Um, you'll hear people talk about dual enrollment and dual credit. There's a slight difference between the two, but dual enrollment means they're an Ivy Tech student and we push those credits back to their high school and so they apply towards graduation. And what we tell them is, you know, I, I always tell the uh, guidance counselors, I, I love teaching your A students when I get them. They're great, they're easy, they're, you know, they're, uh, you, you just give them stuff to do and they do it and it's great. Um, but send me your C students. These are the ones who are saying, I'm not going to go to college, I'm going to go to work after high school, 
and in their case um, you know I say well do you want to go to work in fast food or do you want to go to work making you know 23 bucks an hour in in, uh, in a warehouse okay let's do that then <laughs> and uh, and and that puts them on a fast track to be a supervisor maybe by the time they're 21 22 years old while all their friends are accumulating debt in college what uh, when I was in long long time ago when I was at Allied Van Lines I mean before I even went to Pullman there was a place out by uh, <coughs> where the guys that had the up by you the guys that had the big uh, the, the first enclosed pool on the Kennedy was it was that a Holiday Inn or whatever the hell it was uh, it's been in several different anyway there was a big building attached to that with a bridge and it was called the American Management Institute or American something like that you ever hear those guys because they, they, they used to have classes all the time and it was a great way to, to meet people <laughs> for God's sake because everybody you actually you took a week I mean they, they gave me a week off of Allied and uh I might have stopped in in the morning, but then I went over there, and I was some kind of a, I don't know if it was logistics or what it was, something I didn't, didn't have in grad school, and I spent the week, and I got my, but everybody, you stayed at the hotel, and of course, everybody went right from class right to the bar, I mean, it was a, but they were there forever, Kevin, and I don't know if they still are, but, but, but the question I, I sort of wanted to ask is, they, I did some work, these people were looking for money, but it ended up being a... A, a real goat bleep because it was all the family was involved, all the fam- fam- family was fighting, so I could never clean the company up enough to where I could get some money for them. Anyway, they had a, a really incredible uh, device, and it had to do with uh, measuring all the, the oxygen and so forth and water and see what it was really something. And to make one of them, one of the guys who was the, the repair guy and the installer, installer, assembler, he he had been an auto mechanic and saw this job and went in there, but essentially was a, a real computer on steroids with a testing piece to it. And the inside of the computer was nothing but wires, but the kid went somewhere to learn how to do wiring of stuff and, and assembly where you're not, you're, not a, you're not a wire guy anymore, you're, you're an artist. It's like if you, ever, if you ever have occasion, which you never will, to go on like an RTA railroad car and open up the railroad box... I mean, I'm, I'm kind of a, a half-assed electrician. I couldn't do that. There's a million wires in there, and they are absolutely perfect. I mean, the person who does them, you they're all in the exact spot they're supposed to be. They look like they were done by an artist, all bent the same spot. You'd never get any more wires in the place. I couldn't do that if my life depended on it, and even though I allegedly know where to stick each wire. Where do you pick up those kind of skills? He went to some school to learn it. Is it yeah, we, you guys? we have programs in that, too. Really? Yeah, so, yeah, you can... Uh, you can, you can do electrical studies. You can do uh, advanced manufacturing and robotics. Um, so you know, learning how to how to do uh, you know it, basically everything you know the, uh, from you know basic automation all the way up to the industry 4.0 stuff that you read about in robotics, where that you get them to talk to each other. So we have curriculum in that. It's not mine, but it's you know it uh, it, it goes hand in hand with a lot of what we do. Well, how is this all financed? Um, we're we're uh, a state school. So okay. um, the, the, uh, first of all, the Indiana legislature has, and, and through the governor's offices you know, over the years, they've identified the areas of most interest. And so they, they will provide uh, um, you know, a lot of uh, educational opportunities for the students. So for instance, you could take, you know, uh, whether it's uh, robotics and automation, whether it's supply chain, business, certain IT disciplines, 
um, and uh, um, uh, construction, I think, is the other one. They have uh, a workforce ready grant. So if you if you don't already have a degree, um, I mean, basically, you don't need any financial uh, you know, financial hardship to get the workforce ready grant to pay for your certificate. So that's one way that, that, that it's financed. But another way is um, all our, our college is evaluated really on three things. One is enrollment, and, and this is on a campus-by-campus basis, campus basis because Ivy Tech is all over the state. Um, but how's our enrollment? How is what they call persistence doing? How do the students, you know, how do your students keep going? Uh, if they come in for one class or two classes, do they, you know, do they keep coming back for the next one? Um, because that speaks to how well we're educating them, and you know, are, are, are we annoying them, or are we, uh, are we meeting their needs so that they want to keep coming back? And then the third one is completions. So every time they complete a credential, all of this is tracked, and and the funding is tied to that. So you know, it's it, it, it's not just pay me. Um, it is um, it is a, a function of not just of, of more than pay me. It is a function of you better succeed as educators. Um, the students pay zero, or they pay no, no, they, they they pay tuition, and, and in many cases they're financial aid eligible. So, you know, they can they can get different kinds of financial aid, um, and uh, and then it, you know in, it varies by region of the state, but we have a very large percentage of students who are Pell Grant eligible. And what does that mean? A Pell Grant, it, it means that you're talking about a low income level, um, uh, low family income level. Um, but Pell Grants are money that you can use for living expenses while you're studying because, you know, the whole thing is, you know, and, and as you look at this. Um, There's no dorm anywhere. No, no, we're, it's, it, we're all local students. Um, it, but it, it, when, you, when you look at, you know, what's going to make for a student success, if you live in poverty or you live, you know, just on the edge of it, or if you're just someone who has a family, a job, and is going to school, um, you know, and you're trying to balance all of those kinds of things, you can start saying, how does life get in the way of being successful? It's different than, you know, being going off to Notre Dame like we did and having nothing to do but be a student. We still had guys whose life got in the way of it. Well, life did get in the way of it. And you know what? My last two years there, I always had a job. I always had a job off campus, and, uh, um, and you know, that was how I... Uh, that was after I was gone. You didn't have a job when I saw and I knew you. No, you didn't. I didn't. Um, and uh, so, but you know, I, I I lived off campus. I wanted I had to pay the rent. Well, I didn't know that. I thought you were remorse to get a whole way. No, only two years. So as soon as oh I God, left, it after wasn't I got done with the likes of you, you're about to say it wasn't fun. I was about to say I didn't want to pay. So for as soon your as I didn't want to pay for everybody else's crimes. So so as, as soon as I got I left being the the party master and the Zen master, everybody left. That that's it. That, yeah, that's a, that's the best explanation I can think of. You know, I had I had a bar every night we went to, as you recall. I still like to tell the Barnaby story. Oh yeah, the, uh, we used to. You know, Barnaby's used to has has something called the Mug Club, and um, and the Mug Club, um, it, you know, when when you join, you paid like two bucks, and you get your Mug Club card, and, and your mug, and, and a mug, which you know I didn't keep that, um, and forevermore on weeknights you would get um, a dollar off a pitcher of beer. And oh, it was a dollar a pitcher. Well, it was about that, yeah, because yeah. pictures were like two bucks or two and a half bucks or something like that. And um, uh, so, you know, the mug club was the greatest deal. But the other good part about it was that, you know, there, there, there was a Barnaby's uh, in Northbrook where I lived. 
So uh, if, if, if those of us who are old enough will recall that the drinking age for beer and wine was 19 in Illinois. So I got my mug club card at Barnaby's in Northbrook when I was 19. And of course, when I went back to South Bend, where the drinking age was 21, um, I, I, um, all I ever did was walk up to the bar, show them my mug club card, so I'd get my dollar off and say, I'll take a picture and four glasses. And, uh, of course, they know they never would have given me a mug club oh, yeah, card unless you weren't if, I, if I weren't 21, so they just never asked questions, and uh, that was great. And the best part about it is that to this day, and Tom, you might want to look up and see what I'm holding. Oh God! You I still, still have my mug club card. It's pretty ratty, but I still have it, and it's still good. Mug. And it still gets me a buck off of a pitcher. That's unbelievable. I, I, I think I tossed mine, or if it isn't, it's buried somewhere. But we were—I wasn't 21 till senior year. I was young. It wasn't till November senior year, and uh, <laughs> and uh, it didn't bother me. <laughs> of course, I was a big guy. But yeah, well, you looked like you were about 40 years old when you were in college. Well, too. that's the truth too. But. Uh, we went to we had Barnaby's a couple nights and uh, we had uh, I had all kinds of but the best was uh, Andrew Indiana had no you couldn't drink on Sunday so well, for, you could drink you just couldn't go out and drink well you had to buy it on Saturday all the liquor stores were closed yeah so, so yes they had Sunday liquor lots yes so we would and actually it wasn't that long ago where you know you that they changed but anyway so there was a place we went right up thirty one and Notre Dame's close to Michigan and you actually turned left on this road. In Indiana, and as you wound down maybe a quarter of a mile, the, the road kind of leaned north a little bit. So on the on the right side of the street, there was a bar that was actually in Michigan. So we would go there on, on Sunday night, and it was a it was a polka bar. Well, we old people dancing polkas, and that was our place. We'd go on Sunday night and dance with the older ladies. And, so Kubi- love and Kubiak's, Kubiak's is still there. It, that's a, that is that is unbelievable. Um, I, but a question, a serious question: Why? Why has your place, when I say your place, Ivy Tech, all around the state, it seems to be there's no jealousy between South Bend and Indianapolis, wherever the hell you're going with these things. And, and Russell finds the same sort of thing down there. But here, this, I mean, this, you guys seem f- so far advanced from the Chicago City Junior Colleges, and I don't think there's ever any talking between those people and the rest of the state. Is it because yours is state-funded and here it's, it's half-assed Chicago, and I don't. Is there a, is there a state equivalent in Illinois to Ivy Tech? Um, not that I know of. I think it's it's more fragmented, um, which means that there would be times where there's competition for students and and so on. I, you know, I, I I I don't know how to explain it. I think we do a lot of really really good things. We have our dysfunctions too. You know, any, I work for the government, so you know you know it's going to be dysfunctional sometimes, um, and uh, and so we run into that. Uh, I, I will say this, one thing we do is with each discipline is we do have curriculum committees and we do meet regularly. Um, and, and that's one that, like for supply chain, I chair that committee now. We met uh, last night. Yeah, well, uh, we, you met you met some people, but everybody was from South Bend. But okay. I was out the night before with people from Fort Wayne, from uh, you know other places who, who were also at this conference. The, uh, the curriculum committees is a good coordinating committee uh, uh, Point, point of emphasis, I guess. I, I don't know what else to say. And, you know, my mission for that is always to make it more more team, less a group of people who meet every once in a while. And and we're getting there. SP Futures uh, up 29. NASDAQ Futures up 113. It's been steady here. That's why I haven't mentioned it, but everything is pretty much up. Pretty much green. We come back. We have a, a call in from uh, our friend Dr. Mark Johnson, Dr. Blade, uh, to talk about some of the psychology of some of these things. And, uh, 
want to actually talk a little bit about some of the tie them in a little bit to the Bitcoin and just general behavior of people. I'll be right back, Stacks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage healthcare costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401-8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation in human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation in the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. But I do know that if I did invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now. Hello and welcome back to Stacks and Jacks. I'm Tom Allen, Mr. Kevin O'Neill in the audience, audience in the studio. And we have Andrew on the board. S&P Futures are up uh, 2850. 2850. NASDAQ Futures up 107. Kind of what, sort of what we were, were down yesterday. Uh, up and down, up and down week. Dow Futures up 174 in the Dow. I have uh, V's up a buck on one. I got some Salesforce up 231. 
Microsoft up a buck seventy three. The only one I have down is IBM. Well, actually, I've got uh, Amgen down two thirty. Uh, Chevron is down fifty cents, and uh, IBM is down twenty two. All the rest are green, with three nasty red arrows kind of in the way. In Asia, we've got the Nikkei down thirty. Call that flat. Shanghai down eighteen point six percent. Hang Seng sneaking down a little bit, back under eighteen thousand, only down fifty three bucks. Nineteen seventeen nine nine two, but still a major comeback from the. 14.5 print, I'm going to say a week ago Tuesday. So they, uh, Japan sees core inflation highest in 40 years. Okay, so there you go. Yesterday we were, uh, Dow was only down 7, S&P down 12, NASDAQ down 38, because we came right back on the close, almost made it to positive, even though we were down twice that much at quarter to three. Over in Europe, we've got, we got rallies here. The DAX up 171, 1.2%, puts you up 639 Kek around up 76, that's 1.2. Um, this is on the same day as, as, as Britain. See, we don't seem to care any uh, about people anymore. Brits face sharpest living fall, sharpest fall in living standards on record, okay, as the market is rallying away over there. It's just, I'm not, not criticizing, I'm just pointing it out. Uh, bonds up uh, two basis points, 3.79, so under four. Bond up two basis points, 2.05. Never made it under two, even though it's threatened to. Uh, Japan... Uh, up one basis point to 0.25. So they still are doing whatever they can to keep it right there. Oil down 56 cents, 81.01. Brent down 94 cents, 88.84. Oil's been pretty quiet here, somewhere between 80 and 85, maybe 88 for the last several weeks. Uh, natural gas down 24 cents, 6.12. Our Bob unchanged, 2.45. We've got gold up 80 cents, 17.63. Gold seems to have found a home in his high 1700s. Silver up 24 cents, 21.21. Copper down a penny, 367. We have Bitcoin up 89 bucks to 16749 as it continues to maintain this middle 16 to 17,000 range as everybody swirls with what's going to happen with all this stuff. But these other guys are where all the trouble is. The the other coins and tokens and stuff, those are the ones that have really been taking a bath. Uh, U.S. dollar, um, it's uh, the, it's strong, it's it's weaker a little bit with the euro down to 1.04, was up to 1.5 or 1.5.5. And with the pound is still strong, uh, 1.19. So actually, the, actually the dollar is down a little bit because the, the, the uh, British pound is up and the euro's up a little bit. But say the euro's down from it was the other day uh, by by like a penny. Andrew, what do you got for us, Trevi Weather Sports? All right, it is uh, 6:38 here in Chicago on Friday, November 18th. Uh, for sports, uh, last night in the NFL, the Titans beat the Packers, ending in a 27 to 17 game. Uh, but this Sunday, we can look forward to the Bears playing the Falcons at 12 p.m. Excuse me. <clears throat> now, over in the NHL, uh, on Saturday, the Blackhawks play the Bruins at 6 p.m. And for the NBA, the Bulls are going to play the Magic tonight at 7 p.m. Now, for Chicago weather, it is just getting colder and colder today. It is currently 27, and we're going to have a high of 29, so not much of a change. Uh, over in Phoenix, things are very different. Currently clear at 44 degrees. They're going to ha have a high of 71. And now finally for Chicago traffic. Uh, Chicago traffic is building just generally around the major expressways. Uh, no major accidents very close to downtown. Uh, the only exception being that uh, out on the Bishop Ford on both sides near East 110th Street, uh, both sides have their own accident, which is causing some delays pretty far out down there. So that's all I got. Back we have do we have Dr. Johnson? <laughs> yes, you do. Doctor Doctor, how are you, buddy? 
I'm great. How about you? You're coming into your 70th birthday time. I have to get that on the air. Well, that's okay. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's It's either a disaster or a milestone, whichever way you look at it. I, <laughs> I prefer to look at it like, by the way, I'm getting there later than all the rest of you mopes. Just yeah, well, I, I just turned in September, so I, I just remember from back in the day. You were, you were one of the youngest freshmen, I think, that was there. <laughs> yeah, that was... Uh, back in the day. Well, that, was, that's a, that was a good thing. We... Uh, we, you got to put Kevin's mic on too, uh, Andrew. The uh, you shut oh, him yeah. off. There I am. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say you guys are so old, you fart dust. Yes, yes. The uh, <laughs> well, I mean, some states were uh, were different. Some states, I mean, in, in uh, Illinois, I think December first was the cutoff, so I made it by a few days. But other places, like uh, uh, Craig Fowler, is actually a day older than me, and he's a year behind. Because in, in Ohio, I think the cutoff was November first. But I had a cousin who I went to school with, and her birthday was in January. <laughs> uh, so she was, you know, four, four and three quarters or whatever when we started kindergarten. What uh, didn't Ohio? This is more of a Kevin question. For sports, didn't Ohio go with the uh, the, the the racehorse dating, where everybody's birthday was January first for sports? Oh, I, I don't know. That. Because uh, for those that don't know, not that it has anything to do with stocks and jacks, when you see when they, when they say a horse is a three-year-old, they're never exactly three; they're somewhat younger because um, everybody's every everybody's first birthday is the, is the January first. Right. So if you're born to, if a horse is born December fifteenth, it's one years one year old, and it's a one year old on January first. Yeah, for purposes of racing. Now, for for throwing him a birthday party, him or he or she, it's so. <laughs> Dr. John, I don't know. I don't know where to start here, Mark. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, you need to. <laughs> I mean, I, because uh, Mark's but, but, but horses isn't wasn't what well, you wasn't really, well, maybe 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 because people are acting like some horses' asses. Maybe it is the place to start. Um, I guess I, I several. I was gonna. We're gonna have to have you back because I want to talk about what's going on in society uh, in general and, and just people's stress level because you can see it all over the place. Uh, because Dr. John, Dr. John, this is what he specialized in, was, was people in, in a clinical time of psychology where help people out with various phobias and various problems. But I want to zero in. I don't know how much you've read about this. I hate to jump you with this one. These young kids that did this FTX, um, how does somebody, here's, here's a kid who's, his, his dad was a law professor and his mother was, was something else, both professors, I believe, at Stanford. And he went to MIT. Mm-hmm. How do you, and, and there's some serious talent there in terms of, well, as you know, I mean, nothing in this world is new. We've been around long enough to know that. I mean, the kids started out with uh, seeing that this Bitcoin is generally higher priced or higher bid in the Far East, meaning Japan and Korea, than it generally was in Europe. So sometimes the bid in, in the Far East was higher than the offer in Europe. So... It was an arbitrage opportunity. The kid must have had some money. I mean, his dad made you know let him into his sphere of influence, so he had some money to start up. He got a system together where he could essentially clear both sides, where, where most people had trouble clearing Bitcoin, but he somehow put it together where he was actually able to buy in Europe and sell in Korea and having the things both clear, which uh, I you know he had family help. He's not the first person to get that. I don't I don't begrudge him that. Kid was pretty damn smart. And I put all this stuff together. How do you go from there, 
doctor to to total lack of any sort of morals to borrowing people's money to having the girlfriend who might have face she looks like a nut job but and now she's I don't know what she did but she she ends up being the the risk manager she you wouldn't trust her to take your groceries home for God's sake I mean how do you how do you get from being that sort of a family you would think some sort of a moral fiber and then all of a sudden this total you know everybody's crashing in crash pads and everybody's doing everybody else's girlfriend and 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 we're living in the Bahamas in this massive thing and and we're and we're borrowing people's money and doing this thing I mean some of it was uh, trying to save other crypto firms some of it was just getting his face on TV to, and, and paying 190 million dollars for the Miami Heat Stadium how, how do you how do you get from one place to the other without any sort of none of us everybody we knew had some sort of a moral background from somewhere you would at least along the line know you were screwing up these guys are like amoral they're not even immoral yeah boy <laughs> that's I mean that's the question of the moment actually in clinical psych and, and actually in broader circles around cultural anthropology Tom I mean, it's like, I, mean I, I don't know I'm no I'm not like plugged all plugged into to FTX and I've read uh, there's a good article in the Times about it recently um, that set you know yesterday this thing this fall apart deal I mean it's you're the guy that would know more about what it means to have that industry regulated or not and it, there's certainly criticism about the lack of regulation there but many investment firms poured billions into these guys so it wasn't like you know people who don't know what's going on in the financial world you know you know took chances um without any kind of understanding of what what their risks are. i mean you're a risk guy <laughs> Holy moly! Um, you, know, you know, I it's not. I don't think it's just greed. And it's one of the in that Gen Gen Z stuff, which is going to get a lot more press um, certainly after this last election. Um, it's I mean, it's hard to factor all the things that go into the crypto stuff, but some of it make, make it's you know there's a way in which any investment serves the function of legalized gambling. Um, and that's, that one feels like more of a speculative risk than anything I've seen. And I'm, you know, I'm a conservative guy, so I didn't, I had a son-in-law was pushing me like crazy. Oh, you got to get into this. You got to get into this. And I, you know, it turns a few hundred dollars into a few thousand dollars seemingly overnight. Why don't you do that? And I just said it felt like a Ponzi scheme to me. And I, that's, and I don't know the half of it. I don't know, you know, the inside of that trading. The psychology of it though is not all that different than general risk taking. And, for, for that generation, I mean, I think I do think there's a generational difference. I think, I mean, it's crypt, it's you know, it's computerized. It's a you know, it's it's the world they live in, and so they they don't see they don't you know the kind of questions you you'd ask about a bottom line and value added and quarterly reports and blah blah blah. But those don't even come into play. At least I've seen. You know, there's just every you know people on the street buy this thing because it looks like. You just won the lottery. Well, why, what is the lottery? What is the overnight? Let me ask you more of a, of a of a more basic question in terms of just human behavior. When you were standing on the trading floor, nobody was that kind yeah. of a sleaze bag. If you stood next to them, and they actually had to do something dastardly in front of your right. face, I mean, they're, 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 yeah. they're essentially yeah. afraid to get their to get they're going to get their eye dotted. But online, it seems like there's no morals at all. I mean, it we, seems that I've been I, actually a couple of my friends and I are trying to write about this as we speak, and th- and that whole question, um, it's difficult. I mean, there, it, it. I don't think you can avoid it as a moral question. I mean, I, I think we 
do ourselves a ourselves a disservice not to think about the morality involved in this. And it's not just greed. And it, it has to do, you know, t- taking from others. It has to do with who deserves what. It has to do with the kind of righteousness that's all over this culture. Oh my goodness, is that a problem? Uh, each, no, I don't want to get into politics with you, but either side points to the other and calls them idiots and traitors. Um, okay. I mean, there's a moral tone to all that. Like, there's moral outrage about everything. Um, morality, you can get angels on a pin about this one. Is man basically good or bad? You get into philosophy pretty quickly. And I, you know, it's, this show isn't about philosophy. But it, it'll take you there. And uh, it's, a, I think, a worthwhile conversation. Let's just say that. Well, what do you think about this article I have here? Matter of fact, buried in my. Kevin's noticed that I'm actually trying to clean up my mess here. You are? Uh, um, <laughs> well, maybe he hasn't noticed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you can tell. But there was a, an article, and I, and I have it here somewhere. I could actually find it if I had to. Um, it had to do with when, when, when people, the politics and the, and the, let's say, left or right stuff, is, is at some point people's regular lives get involved, get, 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 start to mess with their ability to really look at every issue and make their own determination. So at some point they mm-hmm. essentially lazy out and say, I'm on, the, I'm on whatever side the right would be on this, or I'm on whatever side the left would be on this. And they just mm-hmm. say, whatever it is, I'm, I'm with these guys. Even though just about everybody we know, there's got <laughs> to be a couple of issues that the left has that somebody on the right, if you really thought your way through, would say, yeah, you know, those guys might be right on this one. I mean, correct on this one. Same way the other side. Yeah. I mean, there's, I mean, yeah. I, I, I am in the, in the middle here totally, and I, I don't know of anybody I know that uh, really, well, I have issues with some of the people closest to me in their, their politics, but, I mean, in the middle, it's lonely. I mean, you're not, you don't belong to either side, and, and there's, yet I really do think that a lot, there's a lot of people yeah. actually don't like this all or none type of thing, but I don't see how, I, I mean, it, it, maybe it becomes a mental laziness, maybe it is, I don't know what it is, but, but something somewhere is going on here that we have to address. I mean, there's a... But you know, even the morality of you—you mentioned the part about um, regulation. Well, doctor, the reason why there's a Bitcoin is people are fleeing the regulation. So if there's a problem there, to turn around and say why weren't you regulated—that's not even a fair question. You're not regulated because the people didn't want to be. That's why they're there. How's that working out? Well, I mean, you know, regulators didn't help you with Madoff. It help you in two thousand and eight. Yeah. They're useless. And how's that working out? Right? Yeah, I'm saying well, yeah, but those point. were regulated industries. Is the is the point? Is uh, you know, the mortgage industry was regulated. Yeah, and allegedly. Yet, and yet we still class. So it, it's it's one thing to have regulations. It is another thing to have regulation, <laughs> and, and people who are yeah, a- actually looking at it. The the other thing, Mark, I, I just want to throw into the mix too is. Uh, that I've I've long lamented the emergence of the idea that if it's legal, it's ethical too. Um, that there is no line between legal and ethical, and I think we've lost that that area in between, where we say whether you can go to jail or not for it, it's still not something you do. Um, right. And and and, yeah, I, and, and I, therefore we we I totally rely on regulation as as the solution to everything. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you're right on this. Right on that, Kevin. That, um, ethics, of course, becomes um, now. <laughs> and this, my friends and I are trying to write this piece. Uh, we are writing this piece. Um, 
when you bring up ethics, it's almost you're almost going to get an eye roll, and it's like it's quaint, right? Yeah, <laughs> because it because it speaks to some kind of understanding of there's the right way to do things. Now you can get again all kinds of arguing about what's the right way, but that there might be one. I think I'd like to hope is you know actually true. You know, we want to treat. And I, I would agree with you, Tom, but there's there's a kind of unexplored middle. You know, I've got friends who are on both sides of the aisle, and uh, especially one of my, my best friend here is a staunch Republican. And uh, and we and we have great conversations where we end up going, you know, we really don't disagree about that much fundamentally. No, you don't. Right? You, know. We, you know. And we don't. We just don't. And we vote for different people, and that's okay, fine. Well, that's because that your friend be, is. I think something of it, it was a norm in my family. My mother was a, a Democrat. My father was a Republican. And they, they would joke about it. It's like, oh, let's go cancel each other out. <laughs> God. <laughs> that's how they go vote. Well, the, it, was, it was actually funny that now, it's, I don't know. I mean, this, this, I've mentioned this before, I think, once on your show, Tom. Back in early 2000s, a Notre Dame history professor actually did some research on congressional voting, looking at the f- most far right-leaning Democrats as compared to the most far left-leaning Republicans on about 20 major bills of impact in that in that congressional session. Take a guess at the overlap. It's zero. Yeah, it's like zero, gotta be zero now. And, and that was a big bell ringer to this guy saying, look, we, we used to cross the aisle. We used to go out for drinks after work. We used to talk to each other. Now we demonize each other and blame each other when things don't go our way. And that seems to have continued for the last twenty years. So, well, there was a. I, and I don't. I boy, I don't have an answer. I wish I had an answer. I don't know how this solves. Well, when Ted when Ted Kennedy died, and I know a lot of our conservative guys are going to you know the hair is going to stand up in the back of their neck. One of the guys who was on radio talking about wasn't a eulogy, but talking about him was was John McCain, who's you know obviously yep. a very conservative guy, and he said I was on a couple of his committees. He said he was the best chairman. He had the best people working for him. He uh, was always the most prepared. And whoever you were, no matter if he disagreed with you totally, you always got your say. And if it made any kind of sense, it got in the bill. He said, and then we'd all go out for beer afterward. Because whether whether you disagreed with him, like 90% of the stuff like I did, didn't even matter. He he knew where he was. He knew where you were. But if if you had a good point, it got in the bill. He didn't, didn't just not let you talk. You know, by the way, he had good people. He was always prepared. It was a great committee to just go sit at. You know, I mean, uh, so I mean, there, but nobody would do that to anybody now on the other side and say the guy was a good guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, I don't know how you, we well, had a couple of, go ahead, fire away. Because you're in a unique position, Tom, let me ask you this. Some of what we're, we're trying to understand in this writing, which you might help us with, is what, what really promotes dialogue? Like what, when, especially when there's difference. It's easy to shoot the breeze with your friends, but how do you, how do you engage with people uh, on anything? It, we can make it politics, but it could be anything where you really you know there's a substantial difference in opinion. Like, how do you get going with that kind of conversation? I uh, what helps me personally? I've actually made a, a big change since I've been doing the show, uh, which has been a long time. But I I, I try now instead of somebody coming up with you know something like really dumb they might say uh say aoc for instance you know i don't believe in any of her solutions i don't think she's the brightest bulb she could be one of the hottest around but that's another that's another story but 
when she says something or, or somebody totally on the right says something, they may have actually seen the wrong, th- the, the same thing, the same inequity, the same problem, and are just their solutions might be off the chart. But actually, their observations are, are very close. So I try and I try and cut it back to the observation. When somebody comes in, whether he's a right winger or a left winger, and they say, "We should like do this," and I go, "All right, wait a minute. What what are you trying to solve? What do you see where you think that's a solution for?" <laughs> and if you if you back it up that way, usually you will agree with what they saw and why they okay. think something needs to be changed. There's an inequity someplace, and if, and if you do that, <laughs> yeah. And I, I want to throw in too that. Um, you know, I, I look at it. I'll, I'll look at it from you know business instructor, uh, um, business professor point of view, um, a, as well as you know just my you know general you know management consultant point of view. So how do you do that in a, in a business setting? Because all of this FTX stuff is is business setting too, and you know mm-hmm. I I I am a big believer that you start with everyday ethics, just the everyday stuff that people encounter. So in the business world you can you can have conversations about that. In a family you can have conversations about the things. You know, and and mm-hmm. what I what I mean by everyday ethics is, you know, how about just a short case about someone taking credit for someone else's idea in the in a business setting? How about mm-hmm. a short case about um, you know what's acceptable to take if you're if you're a purchasing agent. What kind of gift is acceptable or unacceptable? And it, it always gets down to where's your line uh, on this. And and I, I, I actually have a whole collection of these, so uh, you know I, I, I like nice. uh, I like nice. using them in the classroom because it this is really sort of the uh, exercising the ethics muscles uh, a little bit. Um, on a regular basis and this is the kind of thing that you can do you know teams have weekly meetings uh, weekly stand-up meetings or something so it's something you can do about once a week and so when when some of these companies say yeah we're going to do you know this whole uh, ethics push this is where you go because first of all it's the day-to-day stuff where most people live but it's the second thing is when you get good at that when you get good at thinking about the smaller stuff you're better prepared when the big stuff comes along Mm-hmm. Well, from a real small piece, uh, Mark is that when I when I quote from somebody's article, and obviously I'm reading stuff every morning, and uh, if I quote from somebody's article, I still give the name and, and say about this person's on here, and it's a great article, and they did yeah. some research. And Maddie Weber says, "Chief, you're the only guy who does that. Nobody does that anymore." I said, "Man, how, how the hell can I use somebody else's work without saying it's theirs and not mine?" I mean, it's a small thing, but it's not mine. It's theirs. Why, why can't? Why don't I? It doesn't make me smaller. To give them credit, I don't think. No, it actually makes you bigger. I mean, that's another thing I always say with my students. You should always be crediting your team. I, I constantly tell them, it doesn't matter what the subject is, when I tell them, you know what, I'd like you to do this because it's the right thing. But if you can't see your way clearing to, uh, clear to doing it because it's the right thing, I can convince you that it's the smart thing, too. And it, you know, sharing credit <laughs> is a smart thing because everybody looks at you and says, "Wow, what a great leader! He's got his whole team doing all you know all this great stuff." Because you're out there saying, "My team, my team, my team's great. I love them. They're great." And instead of taking the credit yourself, so you know, it's it's the same mindset about um, uh, you know about. What, uh, Tom's example, you know, when when you share where the source is, what you're really saying is, uh, you know, what, and what people will see is, hey, this guy reads, he thinks, you know, they think higher of him for sharing it rather than just some guy spouting an opinion that he stole from somebody else and nobody knows it. 
Well, Dr. Mark, what you've done is open up about 15 other questions, so we have to have you back. I also want to talk to you one of these days about, I saw some numbers about how many kids in school are on drugs. That can't be healthy. They can't all be that. They can't all be. Oh, God. Well, there's a, you know, I just read a, there's a 2022 report on national mental health statistics in the U.S., and it, it's pretty stark, actually. I mean, that, and I, you know, the pandemic's had a big role in all this. Media has a role in all this, but the numbers are, you know, you can't, it's hard to compare across generations, but it's, you know, roughly one in five U.S. adults has qualifies for a mental illness in terms of the diagnostic manual. That's a pretty big number. Well, uh, hey, uh, I think one in five. Well, yeah, it's a, it's really strange stuff. But it, I, I, I've enjoyed it. It's, it's really great having Kevin in the, in the place. It's a lot easier than having two people on the phones. But uh, no, I, I, this, this been, this has been great. Hey, oh, quick, quick question: What, you, what things you guys are writing? You guys, I'm assuming they're all guys, yeah. but maybe not. Is, is that, yeah. is that a yeah. book? It's a yeah. pamphlet. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a uh, stuff well, for well, your well, school or what? That's a good question too. I mean, we're, we're kind of circling the wagons here in the sense we, we've sent off stuff to some academic journals and it's not what they want, which is fine. Um, we're trying to, I mean, I actually love Kevin's phrase he just used a minute ago about everyday ethics. I mean, we're, we're trying to talk about how do you join on similarity? How do you find a common thread to open dialogue so that difference can be explored, not exploited? Right? And that's what it seems to happen in a culture. And I'm not just talking about politics. It happens relationally. Oh, yeah. It happens in families. It happens in businesses. Like, how, do we, how do we have an everyday ethic, which I like a lot? Um, I'm not a cousin who's, who's married to a cardiologist, one of the finest people I ever knew. Sadly, no longer with his dad of Parkinson's. He, his one-liner all the time was, do the right thing for the right reasons. And well, I just, he was that guy. No, he's a guy that donated an MRI machine to the hospital because he could afford it. And the hospital couldn't. Really? No, he was that guy. You know, bought, bought the organ for the church because the church fundraiser wasn't getting off the ground. All right, but we we got to dash. You could. We have to dash, but I, I really enjoyed it. Miss you, uh, Flanagan. Even said a couple good things me. about you last night. Call uh, me anytime. You know, just give me a jingle anytime you want me, and I'm happy. To, and, I, and I love having Kevin there because yeah, <laughs> he's one of our heroes. Yes, know. he's well, he's one of our. He's something. Anyway. <laughs> Don't I hear that all the time? That's <laughs> Futures up 20. There's a Futures 102. Be right back, Mr. Carl Dettinger. This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time decay for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. 
Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of HomeSource Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Hear ye, hear ye! The Homer Broadcasting System is on the air! Stocks, jocks, Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control! Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. There's something happening here. Hello and welcome back to Stacks and Jacks. I'm Tom We have Andrew on the board. We have Kevin in, still in studio. We should have Mr. SPP is now up 33.75. We're, we've decided we're going we're gonna to downplay what the Fed says they're going to do. And no matter how much they say they're going to do, we have a bunch of touts on for the next eight hours saying, no, they're going to pivot and don't worry, next year we're back down to 2% and everything will be a, a party again. What do you think, Carl? A party again? Is that good? We need a party again? Well... <laughs> Stock market needs a party again, but the if, if this nonsense with FTX has proved anything, uh, it has proved that the entire premise of the, the so many people in the tout space uh, is based upon nothing other than blatant fraud, and and particularly in the crypto area. Uh, it has borne out what I have what I've pointed out since this stuff first showed up, which is that all of these things are negative sum games, okay, and the premise of value within them violates the laws of physics, specifically thermodynamics, and uh, that's a delusion. Always, anyone who believes that they can do that is deluded. They're crazy. And you, you know, I mean, that doesn't mean you can't speculate and make money on it because you can always speculate and make money on somebody else's stupidity. But ultimately, that's that's what's going to happen. And and the you know the the thing that's especially galling about this particular instance is that it appears that in order to keep this scam going for another, in this case, what looks like a few months. Not only did we bribe politicians on both sides of the 
which is bad enough, right? I mean, it, you know, everybody's pointing at the Democrats getting all this money from this guy. Well, guess what? Um, nice thing about the FEC is that all of those reports are public. They have to be filed on specific days. I was a treasurer for a House seat run years ago, the Libertarian Party, so I was the guy that had to prepare those things and file them. And if you don't, or if you lie, you can go to prison. They really do mean it. The FEC really really does get very serious about that sort of stuff. Um, but Mitch McConnell got $2.5 million. What do you, what do you make of, uh, just in policy, and that saying you do or didn't like this, it was... I, one of the things that, that you know, you're reading this stuff and you're tr- picking up pieces as you go. It appears that the guy, the, the must-haired guy, he was the face of the Democrats. But there was another guy in the group that was the equal face for the Republicans. Although he wasn't on TV as much, that he he was in charge of giving all the money to the Republicans. And the, the guy who was in charge of the place, the guy you know that we think is the real bad Nick. He just gave the money. If you, if you ask the Democrats, you know, like only gave money to them, but they obviously knew that they were giving it to both sides. So the other guy was in charge of giving it to the Republicans. It, it's, is that odd, or is that the way it's always, it usually works? Well, it, you know, it's, it, it, that is a little different, because it's, and, and, and a lot of this is muddied up by the fact that you can't, corporations or other entities, okay, anything other than a natural person, cannot give money directly to a candidate at all. And the amount of money that you can give directly to a candidate is quite small. I mean, it's, you know, it's a few thousand dollars. It's, it, and there's there's a separate limit for a primary and, and a general, but it's the same limit. And so, you know, you basically, in a cycle, you can do it twice as a person, okay, because you can do it during a primary and then you do it again during a general. So, for all intents and purposes, there's, you know, the, the limit is double the published amount, but it's small. I mean, it, we're talking we're talking well under ten grand. I think it's I think now it's fifty six hundred dollars between the two or something like that. It's not very much, but but none of this matters to the guys that are actually running because we have these super PACs, which the uh, which there's you know there's no limit on. Okay, and and as long as it's a U.S. entity. Uh, there's there's no constraint on how much money gets you know gets spread around, except that those those super PACs are not allowed by law to coordinate with a specific candidate. Which which uh, we know course, never happens. You know we yeah. all know that there's probably plenty of game playing that goes along, and, and proving that somebody actually coordinated something's pretty hard. Um, but uh, you know I mean the rules are the rules. You you play with the rules you have. The biggest problem here. Is that everything that I can that I can determine? Is that much of this money that was being thrown around in the political process went through Ukraine? Now, to the extent that any of that happened, I don't care if it's a dollar. That right there is cause for a no BS shooting revolution right now, because it is blatantly feloniously illegal. It is international, it is, it is election interference by a foreign country. Okay, I don't care how you feel right, about right. about which foreign country, it doesn't make any difference. We should no more tolerate that within our elections and within our political system than we should tolerate Britain telling us who has to be in right, the Let's back up a hair here. Back up a hair here, Kyle, because I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about in, in the first sense, but 
the jump from to the Ukraine. Let's let's just back up on the, on the mini mini steps first. When I was uh, board of the SIBO, we would constantly. Obratsky had this young lady that she would get any any traveling congressman or senator that was in Chicago. They would invite over for like a breakfast, and they would the board right. members would come up and you have some other tr- guys on the floor were able to. It was, it was pretty open, you know. I mean, if you were just a regular trader that let somebody know you were interested in something like that, there'd be twenty five people sitting at this big table, and you know, we'd have cookies and coffee, and we had uh, who the hell was the guy from? Uh, what I remember the most, the guy who was a speaker after. Uh, after uh, the, the guy from uh, Massachusetts, Tom something something, he was from Seattle, big tall guy with gray hair. He was a speaker, like maybe four nude or whatever. Anyway, but he came in and. Uh, it, but I, I remember them giving the, a corporation, which a SIBO was, they'd come over and you'd give them, I think it was a thousand bucks, and they'd give the max. And uh, but it was basically. Helped the guy pay for his trip in his hotel room when he was in town, and, he, and you wanted. Right. But it was a. It was. Re, I mean, it was a very. In my eyes, at that number, I think it started at five hundred. My first year on the board, and it went to a thousand. But um, it was. You're not. You're not bribing the guy for a thousand bucks. I don't think. But it was a way to. What do you guys even do? What is your business? I mean, what do you see in the law that is affecting your business or could? Um, blah blah blah. You know, how do you help people? It was a way for them to learn and for you to t- tell people about your business. And if I was a, a senator and went to Tulsa, Oklahoma, I'd want five of those breakfasts in a row. And I don't need the cookies uh, to find out what these people. It's a way of learning about your constituency all over the place. If, if it's done properly, in a thousand dollars, I don't think you're you're not buying the dude. I, I mean, I sure as hell hope not. Now, fast forward to. Uh, the lady who was we had on the air a couple times, Karen Reeves, was running for Bobby Rush's spot. Now, Jesse Jackson's kid is running in there, too. And he allegedly got a check of a million dollars. I think it was from FTX, but it was from a crypto place. I don't know who else was doing that. Now, how does how do you get from the $1,000 to the million dollars? Now, did that go to his his to Jesse's kid's pack, or did it go to his... Campaign yeah, fund? Go, yeah, go, it has to go to a pack because you can't you can't give it directly to a campaign. So, it, it, and there's so there's there's two kinds of packs basically. Okay, there's ones that are essentially captive to specific campaigns, which are that 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 right there should not be allowed. That's at least technically it's illegal. Um, it's done all the time. But at least from a technical point of view, that is against the law because, by law, a PAC cannot coordinate with a campaign. Well, okay, what the- so so a PAC is supposed to be an independent political entity that that you know presses issues or whatever have you. Um, yeah, okay. Pull the other one. We all know that's a load of BS. <laughs> well, wasn't the aren't there two ways to do it? I mean, the reason why I'm, a, I'm asking is this gets kind of technical, and I think I went through this four or five years ago, and it looked to me like I don't know who was who, but one of the two, the Republicans and the Democrats, really seemed to favor the the PAC, the Political Action Committee, where the other side favored favored what is it the five hundred three C or something something, where you're supposed to be a charitable organization, but you're really not, and you're in uh, you're supposed to be doing. You know, seventy percent of the stuff for charity and only thirty percent for politics or whatever it is. And the, one side or the other, one side picked one as their favorite way to do it, and the other side picked the other. And I, I forget who is who, but there's two actual ways to do this, right? You can have one of those 
whatever it was, one of those. Yeah, it's it's not a C three. Um, so there's you know there's everyone knows about C threes, which are the the five hundred one Cs that everybody you know everybody thinks about. Um, but there are multiple sections under the five hundred one part of the code. Uh, C three is an educational institution; it cannot be involved in political activity okay. at all. So it's not the C and. Well, other than on an auxiliary basis, so I mean, if you're on a C3, you could, uh, you, you know, you could allow a political group to use your space, uh, provided you're paying at, at a market rate for it, uh, you know, to hold a rally or something like this. Uh, that would, you know, that that's fine, uh, but you can't directly contribute to it. And and but then you have others, and, and one of the others is a C6, and that's supposedly a professional society. And there's, I mean, there's. It, it, but yes, there is. There are ways to do it in the five hundred one C area. But again, coordinate, direct coordination with a candidate is illegal. All right, and and so in theory, none of these are allowed to do that. Of course, in practice, we all know that that's a load of BS. Well, none of them are not only none of them are seventy percent or sixty or whatever it is charity either. Or they, it all goes right in their politics. Well, all. yeah, I mean, well, it, and they pay it, salaries it, you know, to executives on there. The law is the law, okay, and so you stay within the lines. I mean, I like I said, when I was doing this, I was a treasurer for for an actual candidate's campaign, and so we had to stay within the the bright line tests of that you know of that specific situation. But there is no way under the I don't care what's what direction you go, there is no legal way for a foreign entity to put any funds into the American political process. I don't care how you do it. I don't care how you wash it. I don't care how it's structured. It makes no difference. It's a felony. It's illegal, period. End of conversation. And the campaigns and the entities involved in political campaigns are required under the law to make a reasonable, diligent effort to make sure that that doesn't happen. Well, that was a bitch against Hillary, right? Is I'm sorry? It, that was the bitch against Hillary. The foundation was taking that's, money from people. Right. And, and the thing is, is that there's, but <laughs> there is no possible way for, and, and what adds to the gall of this is that the allegation that is flying around out there is that the source of the funds that went through Ukraine was actually taxpayer money. Uh, that was, well, but the, the, the tricks are, there's always tricks, we used to call them workarounds in manufacturing. The tricks are, you and I could open up a, well, we wouldn't because I think we're ethical. We could open up a foreign, or a foundation that takes foreign money, and we could pay Kevin 250 grand a year to do nothing, and yet he's donating his time to the campaign. You could, you could pull crap like that, right? Um, well, <laughs> only if you don't get caught. Yeah, well, but I'm saying, but it, it's such a, <laughs> well, I mean, but, you, but yeah, but you were, you were, you were back in a libertarian, so all eyes are on you. I mean, who's who's gonna? One thing about these guys in Congress, they will bitch the the other side out, and like 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 they're you know the one the redheaded step kid. But they'll never once say, "Hey, here's where you got your money," because it, they, nobody wants to open up that can of worms because the guys are gonna turn around and say, well, "Look where you got yours." Well, the the thing is, is that it is all public. Okay, I mean, when you know when uh, when I was doing this, one of the things that we used to do, uh, and it was uh, you know it was a, it was a sport, if you will was to go through the opponent's uh, FEC filings. And, and you know, there's, you learn a lot of information from those 
those things in there, and they are, once they're filed, they're public records. Everybody has the right to go on. You go right on the website, and you can look at them. Um, and in the last, oh, geez, probably 15 years or so, uh, the FEC has gone a long way towards making this much more transparent than it used to be, in that all the filings nowadays have to be done electronically. And, and they even provide the software that, uh, that a campaign can use. Now, if, you're, you know, if you're a Democrat or a Republican, you probably have something that the Democrats or Republicans have come up with that's a little more efficient and easier to work with. Uh, but the but the format that gets transmitted to them is is a standardized and digitally signed uh, package of information, and so it's you, it's it's actually quite secure. It works quite well, um, and and those books have got a balance, and you have got to have those reports in on time. If you don't, they will come down on you like a like animal. So that that information is is quite useful if you're actually trying to figure out who's funding you know your opponent's campaign. You want to attack them on that basis. Uh, that's that's actually a fairly. Yeah, but how do you, how do you uh, know place to go looking? How do you know who contributes to the pack that gives somebody the money? Well, the pack the the pack is a little more translucent. Okay, it's a little harder to get through, and that's that's one of the things that's a problem. But it's but again, the the donation records are not secret. Okay, so this is this is where this information about the money being spread around by FTX came from. Is that the you know you just go on one, online on the web page and take a look, and uh, you know here we are with uh, you know with McConnell getting two and a half million dollars. Well, I uh, I know you're me, me talking to you about this is like because you know all of it and I don't know hardly anything, but I I, I got a minor quick story because my whenever I ask questions it's always because something has happened to me in my life. Uh, way back in the day, when we first started the show, a guy used to come out on, on Monday and do some future stuff. Well, he also got, somehow he was connected into this Catholic family radio. I don't even know if those guys are still around anymore, but I think I think they are. They were they were based out of Green Bay, and they had, they had a national, pretty much a national network of radio stations during the day. And uh, once in a while, this was Chris. He used to come in on, once in a while, Chris and I would go on, lady in the afternoon who was, who was brilliant. She was a time... Um, an editor from Time Magazine. She's a really nice lady. And, and boy, I tell you what, if, if she asked you on as a guest, she would go through your website and read, like, everything you've ever written. I mean, it was like she's asking me stuff on columns I wrote, like, years before I even remember. And uh, Anyway, oh, so, yeah. but she, we, we, we go to this party. It was some kind of a fundraiser up on the North Shore. I don't even, you know, I'm not a North Shore guy. All I know is we're on this big bluff. This guy had a house like you would not believe. Guys are parking my pickup truck. And I'm walking in next to the Cardinal, and I'm going, all right, what, what am I doing here <laughs> kind of thing? And I, it was, talk about the who's who of right-wing Catholicism was at this shindig. And they had an open bar for like one drink, then they shut it down, and you know, it was one of those deals. This guy must have had, plus he had like six kids, all of whom averaged five kids they had. So the guy was like repopulating the world himself. And I, I knew the guy's name, and he, you know, he looked like he had a, suit on it costs more than everything I own and uh, anyway I try to google the guy the only thing I could find and this guy had to be some chairman of some corporation or something that had retired or whatever the only thing I could find uh, Carl was he gave a thousand dollars personally to Bush's campaign yet I had this feeling that this dude was a major mover and shaker and I couldn't find him anywhere he was like the shadow 
so yeah, I, I agree with you that some of this stuff is there, but somehow people find ways to move things around where it's not them. Well, yeah, and it's and uh, here's the other thing that goes along with that though: you get caught doing that, and and you know, essentially, you're you know, we had to. Well, you remember this thing with the bundlers when yeah. when Gore was running, and some of them were Chinese. Some of the the funds that were coming was from China. Uh, that got exposed, and people got prosecuted for it. So you have to be very careful because, yeah, you can pull that sort of thing. It doesn't have to be somebody who's out of the country and ineligible. Uh, if if you deliberately conceal the source of funds into the into a political campaign and you get caught, you're in a lot of trouble. Well, okay, but how do I? But people do it all the time, Chief. I mean, you know, don't, I know. don't get me wrong. I mean, these guys are as pure as the driven snow that the dog took a crap in, okay? I mean, this this happens all the well, time. I'm just trying to work my way through it because you know them. You know, whenever you open up a topic like this, I'm like a sieve. I want to know all the info. What if, for those who don't know, I'll explain what a bundler is. If all of a sudden I'd, I want to run, Kevin's running for mayor, and I want to be a bundler, okay? What I would do is, is, is have... Ten of my closest friends over to either watch a football game or, or drink me dry or something, and I would say, okay, it's a thousand dollars a pop, and Kevin's going to come over and talk to everybody, and you can ask him all the questions you want. And I can be a big schmo, and, and at the end of the day, I'm going to I'm going to write Kevin a check for ten thousand bucks, okay, instead of your. So I'm going to be on Kevin's radar as a ten thousand dollar donator. Well, what do I, how do I do that, Carl? Like, can I can I run that through my personal account, or do I have to have a set up a, a, a you know uh, citizens for for O'Neill thing, or can or can I just I mean in Lincoln Park for Clinton and stuff, there were there were people that show up and give ten thousand dollars or twenty people, and and a guy would write a two hundred thousand dollar check, which is a big number for an individual, and I got to believe that Clinton takes his phone call. You know, well, it's got to it's got to be a, the sources all have to be identified. So you could you can be a conduit, if you will, but what you what you can't do is violate the individual limits uh, and and you know and actually blatantly violate them. Okay, now where where this gets a little hinky and where it, it's legal is you can keep putting let's let's say that I want uh, I want Ron DeSantis. To you know, to be the person that runs for president. Okay, well, in order to do this, the campaign needs money. So what I could do is I could do a ten thousand dollar plate dinner, <laughs> right? Which you know, the the chicken came out of the back of a Cisco truck, and it was yeah. you know, it was three bucks, right? Uh, and and the entire point of this is essentially I'm funding the campaign, and there are legal ways to do that. But again, I I can't take that money. I don't I don't care how much it is. I can't take that money from people that are ineligible. I cannot take it from foreigners. Right now, when I write the check, I write it to Citizens for DeSantis. I don't write it out to him personally, right? That's that's correct. It has to go to whatever the the organization. And and and, and again, I can have a you know I can have a pack that that does a sort of there are legal ways to structure these sorts of things that are within the rules. But there is there is no way for any of that money to have come from outside the United States. Okay. 
Allegedly. All right, there, I, I don't care how you structure it. It's illegal, period. It makes no difference how you do it. There is no way to do this legally with the funds coming out of Ukraine. But, but so, so, uh, so here's the question then is, can you walk the listeners through how the funds would come out of uh, Ukraine and find their way into U.S. pockets? Because, uh, you know, any I, I've read Market Ticker, so I, I, I sort of know what, what the pathway is, but I think it would be great to break that down for the listeners. Yeah, so basically, what's alleged to have happened here, and, and again, there's, there's, there's some questions as to exactly what the mechanical components of this were, okay? But the allegation is that, you know, as, as everybody knows, we have given not just weapons to Ukraine, we've given a lot of money to Ukraine, cash. And the, and the claim is that the purpose for doing this is that the Ukraine government and its economy uh, has essentially been destroyed by this by the war activity, and as a result, uh, they need to do things like pay their soldiers, okay, and, and pay the salaries of the people that, that perform ordinary ministerial types of government things, and, and we've been funding that. The United States has been funding that, and that's the that is the argument. What's alleged to have happened is that. A decent amount of this money went over to Ukraine, and the people in Ukraine turned around and put it into FTX. So they didn't they didn't spend it on salaries. They quote unquote invested it in this cryptocurrency uh, uh, exchange, if you will. The exchange and the and the operators uh, skimmed off ten percent of it or thereabouts funneled that back into Democrat, for the most part, Democrat candidates, although some Republicans too, and stole the other 90%. So, essentially, when you get down to the essence of where the campaign funds came from, they came from foreign entity. Well, so they didn't That's use it, they didn't use well, it. And, and, and then it looks like a bribe to keep funding Ukraine. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's there's also the you know the bribery element of it that's rather blatant, right? I mean, here it is going into, into congressional races, and, and who's it that votes on you know on these funding packages, right? So, uh, I mean, <laughs> but but this is the very reason that any sort of political contribution from outside the United States is illegal, because the essence of it is that the United States and our policy is supposed to be determined by. United States citizens not supposed to be determined by people so, in some other country. I don't care which one it is. All right, just to be clear, they they did not they did not invest it in the Bitcoin and then pay their people in Bitcoin as a way to get around their own funky currency. They put it in FTX as a way to get money back here to politicians. Correct. That's well, the allegation. Now it's now it's not yet proved, but that's but that's what it looks like. And uh, the the funding chain. Uh, from FTX back into the Democrat Party and in, in, in some cases Republicans as well uh, is, is at this point pretty well established because again where you know who, who donated to what is public record that's that one you can't get around and so that that's there is now known and one of the things about blockchain for better or worse, and this is one of the, the things that I have warned people about for the last 10 years, is that every single transaction is traceable forever. It is it is cryptographically signed, and the, the ability to trace it is at a level that is sufficient to be considered admissible evidence in a court, because you cannot 
tamper with digital signatures. If, if you can tamper with digital signatures, then, then they're worthless. I can, I can play with anything. I can reassign your money to somebody else. So that these transactions happened are provable with mathematical certainty. And that's, and, and uh, you know, ultimately, I mean, this is, this is horrifyingly bad stuff. Uh, but it looks to me like essentially uh, the playbook that is often run by people that want to have uh, significant influence within the Washington establishment, you know, the whole K Street thing and all of that, uh, that, that this guy played this game like a fiddle. Well, and, how much you... and, but for the fact that he was stealing ridiculous amounts of, of money and, and essentially had a bank run exposed what he was doing, he would have gotten away with it. Um, we're going to have to go to break here in a second, but I have one question while Kevin's still here because uh, he probably will opine it. How much, I mean, all the stuff that we're talking about, I mean, even the, F- CX, the FTX fiasco, none of this is new. I mean, if, if, if the Greeks would have had this, you'd have read about it in a Greek tragedy. I mean, people make the same yeah. screw-ups. But my question to you is, it seems to me, is, is it just that that uh, uh, it, it's, I, I refuse to believe that it's just becoming easier to find this stuff out, but we've, we've been giving money overseas to people for as long as, certainly as long as I've been around. I'm going to say way beyond that. We were probably giving it to people in the 1890s. I have books about, you know, giving stuff to people who, who sent oil over here. Uh, was there always kind of a trail? In other words, if we, if we give, pick, pick another place. Say we're giving money to Nicaragua. Well, in there, there's probably some money to some charity in Nicaragua. There's probably some there's some money towards uh, water treatment plants or some money toward power stuff. We're not just giving it all, I don't think, to the dictator or whatever the idiot who runs the place. Uh, now, does that mean that every one of those places kicks some of the money back here to the people who sent it down there? Because they does, does, the, does the Nicaragua power plant have a lobbyist in New York that gives Kevin O'Neill some of that money. It seems like there's always some kind of a string where some of it comes back. I don't think that's new. Is it, is it getting worse? Is it just it's become people are dumber dumber about covering it up, or or, or what is it? Or is it, well, I th- it's yeah, it's been going on forever. I mean, there was you know there are plenty of allegations that during the whole Sandinista and, and Contra thing that uh, that America was essentially funding the, the cocaine running cartels out of that part of the world. And, and we were doing it through the CIA and it was it, it was rather blatant right so I mean you know that was that was a whole bunch of the stuff with you know with Oliver North and everything else it's been going on for a long time Ukraine in particular has been a cesspool of this kind of stuff I mean that's that's what all this nonsense about Burisma and, and Hunter Biden and everything else is about is that this is just a pure it, it's a pure grifting play and countries that are less organized if you will, tend to be where it's centered simply because it's easier to pull something like this and uh, and get away well, with what's it. The, what's yeah, the it's difference? Just, it's right, just right. money laundering. It's spy versus spy stuff where, you know, it, we, we catch on to one technique for doing it and then they find a new one. Um, yeah. and, uh, and and it's for you know forever to try and k- the grifters try to stay ahead of the law, ju- you know just enough to get away with it, and then when it blows up, you know on to the next uh, scheme. Well, what's the difference between a Hunter Biden, who I you know from what I've I've learned was a sleazeball from day one? I mean, you can't you can't choose your kids, I guess. But what is and, and maybe Joe's just as big. I, I don't know. But what is the difference between him and the general that was over there that was Trump's guy? Was sit at the same table as the old, the old, the old uh, 
guy who ran the place with the huge palace and is it just so much money he's heading there that there's all kinds of people on both sides with their finger? I mean, aren't you? Were you? No, it was Luda told us, if you're a general uh, with a pension those guys get, you're not supposed to be doing work for another government. The guy was at a big. Oh yeah, well, no, well, I mean, look at what look at all the stuff that happened around the time of Maiden. You know, you had John McCain over there giving speeches, essentially, uh, you know, promising to back a, a, a shooting revolution in that country. Yeah, I mean, it's a. Anyway, Carl, I mean, that's, the, that's the essence of what he was doing over there. Well, yeah, we have to dash off the break here. S&P futures up 36, NASDAQ futures up 120. Everything's okay in the world, at least for a while. We'll be right back, Stacks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading ideas and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know all while exploring how to live your best life through music spirits food sports travel fitness and a whole lot more luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures it's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into wall street's investment gurus it's for mavericks who believe in life luxury and the pursuit of happiness it's for you smart investors don't bet on possibilities they play the probabilities luckbox is 7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howard, the Chief. We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. I'm sure you're aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with that choice. At PTI, we've always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and tried to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it's time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of HomeSource Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello, and welcome back to Stocks and Jocks. I'm tomorrow. Andrew on the board. SP Futures up 35 now, 36. As if futures up 116. Pretty much every stock in the Dow except uh, Chevron, which boils down a little bit. Is up actually. Amgen is is down as well. But everything else is a sea, a sea of green. 
Um, Dow futures are up 235 over in Asia. These guys are actually uh, down here. We've got the uh, um, Japan, which came out with core inflation rate highest in 40 years. Uh, we don't care about no stinking inflation. Uh, Nikkei down 30 points. It's only 0.1%. Shanghai down 18.6%. Hang Seng leaking again, but only a little bit, down 53 points. But they've ducked back under 18,000. So after a huge run-up, we've been three days in a row of kind of a little bit of leakage, but not, not horrible. Yesterday we were down, but just a little bit. Dow down 750. Nasdaq was down uh, 38. S&P down 12. We've blown through that this morning. Over in Europe, and the DAX up 170, 1.2%. FTSE up 62.9%. CAC around up 83, 1.3%. And we've managed to tell everybody that even though the Fed is coming out and saying what they're going to do, don't worry, Bullard's not a voting member after one more meeting. He's the big hawk. And the other guys, they will, they will not lower or not raise rates if it's going to ruin the market. That's the party line, even though they say opposite. So nobody essentially believes our Fed, and maybe they shouldn't. Uh, bonds, 10-year uh, yield up 2 basis points, 3.79. The Bund up 2 basis points, uh, 2.04. And Japan up 1 basis point to 0.25, where they always seem to be. Oil down a buck 66, that's 2%. Under 80 dollars, 79.98. Rent down a buck 78 to 88 bucks. That's 2%. Uh, natural gas up down 16 cents, but still over 6 bucks. 6.21, but nowhere near the 9.30 they were like six weeks ago. Our Bob uh, down 1 cent, 2.43. We've got gold up 2.70 now, 17.65. Silver up, up 23 cents, 21.21. Copper down a penny, 3.67. We've got Bitcoin up 124, 16,785. Uh, it's got to be hanging in there uh, because if it goes much lower, then that's going to be a problem, I think. We have the U.S. dollar is actually down a little bit. The euro up 15 uh, basis points to 1.04. The pound up another point, half a percent, 1.19. So they've come from a, uh, a sell-off down to 104. I'm going to say three and a half weeks ago. Carl might know that better than me. Uh, so that's a solid 14% in three weeks. That's a massive move for a currency. Andrew, what do you have for us, Trevi Weather Sports? All right, it is 741 here in Chicago on Friday, November 18th. Uh, for sports in the NFL, last night the Titans beat the Packers, ending the game at 27-17. And tonight we can see the Bears play the Falcons at 12 p.m. Now over for the NHL on Saturday, the Blackhawks are going to play the Bruins at 6 p.m. And for the NBA, the Bulls are going to play the Magic tonight at 7 p.m. Now for Chicago weather, it is cold and cloudy today. Currently at a cold 26 degrees. You forgot windy and damp. Yeah, it's just not a good one, but highest it's going to be is 29. Uh, over in Phoenix, we are currently clear at 44 degrees with a high of 71 for the day. And now finally for Chicago traffic, uh, no major accidents to report on the expressways. However, the traffic is very heavy today, especially if you're coming in on the Dan Ryan. Uh, so do expect some delays from nearly every major expressway. But that's all I got. Back to you, Chief. Little little, little note here. Uh Lake Forest Estate, with ties to big Hollywood names, sells for over $12 million. Um, this, this, it appears that uh, Stocks and Jacks star Carl Denninger must love it in Tennessee because he finally sold his, his estate on the lakefront for $12 bucks. Well, congratulations, <laughs> Carl. Yeah, okay. By the way, <laughs> since we do talk about sports on this, on this show. Yes, we do. Um, just, just so you know... Gutter, which which has been, uh, you know, is where the FIFA stuff is. Okay, they have decided they're going to ban beer sales I, we talk, after we, making a deal that they weren't. 
just a couple of days before the tournament starts, all of a sudden there's going to be no beer. If you would have been listening to the opening of the show, we covered that instantly. What did that do to inside? They're going to still sell Bud Zero, though. Yeah, but can, can you imagine? I mean, you know, what what sort of I don't I don't care what sort of sport you're into. What sort of football game have, have you ever seen where there's where there's no beer? Well, the original story was that you could have it at the hotels, and you right. could have it in the, in the you could have it in the stadium only at spots with no advertising. So it had to be. If somebody stumbled across the beer place and had a beer, you have to ask somebody, hey, buddy, where'd you get that beer? Where'd you get the beer, right? <laughs> there was no advertising. And, oh, by the way, I guess this is you know kind of like a uh, halal law. The beer had to be refrigerated because they don't trust beer to not turn bad at 120 degrees. So, well, I suppose there's probably something to that. I mean, it's only got you know, 5% alcohol in it, right? So wh- why, why if, with two days to go, do they tell Budweiser, you're out, by the way, we'll keep the check? Well, uh, you know, this is this is what crazies of all different descriptions have a way of doing. I mean, you know, this is this is religious crazy. But uh, uh, hello, uh, why did anybody at FIFA think that there wasn't going to be a problem here? I don't. I, I just yeah, you know, this kind of thing just boggles my mind that anybody thought that there was going to be something that was going to work out the way that they thought with this. I, I I'm just. You know, I'm stunned, but I'm not surprised that this is what they did. Uh, I mean, this is this is the way it is. You, you know, this is part of this country's uh, raising data, if you will. So, uh, oops, no booze. The uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff we're talking about. I mean, with the with Trump just putting himself in uh, the race again the other day, and I yeah, well, he's crazy. Well, he, he is, but I'll tell you what, he has some serious supporters. Some of them are very close to me. Which is kind of scary, but I, I will say this: Okay, is you, you don't know it, but you've had a major influence on me in the sense of looking further than last month for causes of stuff. And I, I look, my economic numbers go back. I'm starting to think like you. Wait a minute, what's the 20-year focus here? What's the 15-year versus last week? I'm trying right. not to be a Generation Xer, but um, I will say that one of the things that still attracts Trump to people, even though they might not be able to even articulate it so well. And actually, the one thing that attracts me to a Trump-like person, just not him personally, is he's a big enough of a crook to know how crooked it is in Washington, and he's probably, you know, maybe the only hope for actually exposing how big it is because nobody from the inside will ever do it. In 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 my, I mean, a lot of people don't like the guy because they thought he was privileged, but I really thought that the the possible savior, for like, oh God, it's a bad word, a possible potential solution in terms of an individual level in our generation Carl, and I'll put us together even though you're not as old um, was was Elliot Spitzer he yeah. knew, and they couldn't wait to bury that poor guy and of course he helped out with, with the bringing Hooker across the, the uh, but I mean there, there was a guy that was you know he tore up the New York Stock Exchange which deserved to be torn up every place he went he was he was like Roosevelt he was a traitor to his class well, oh, he was a wrecking ball, but 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 the wrecking ball that you sometimes need to have, uh, you know, I mean, whether you whether you like it or not, I mean, the reality is is that corruption at some level, there's there's a point at which it becomes so corrosive that it it feeds on itself. I mean, you know, we we talk many times 
about the, the craziness of the medical system in this country and how intertwined with everything else it's become to the point that, it, that you know, it's $1.05 of all yeah. spent in the United States. And yet, fundamentally, uh, medicine is a parasite in that it produces nothing. It makes it possible for other people to produce that, that otherwise would not be able to. I mean, it's what it is. Okay, it's a it's a necessary parasite. I mean, it's like the you know the bacteria in your gut. Without it, you couldn't digest any food, and yet those bacteria consume some of the energy that you take in, and therefore you could say, well, you know, it'd be really great if I had all this energy that I you know that it didn't get spent on these bacteria. The problem is, without that, you'd die because you'd never absorb the nutrients you needed. I <laughs> uh, yeah, actually had. Oh, I'm not. This is them. Not. This is not table talk for the show, but I actually had that quote proven to me once, Carl. When I say proven to me, one of the health clubs here had a hot tub and whatever, and of course, I, I ended up with a staph infection in the hot tub. And the doctor said, I'm going to give you these antibiotics, but I'm going to give you two. And if you can stand it, here, go buy another eight. This, is, this right. had to be 20-some years ago. It was the first time I ever paid like $10 for a pill. I'm like, what the hell? Let's just say they stopped, they got rid of every piece of bacteria in you. It was really a, a wake-up call, <laughs> let's put it that way. It was. Oh, I, it, uh, yeah, I mean, if you've ever, you know, anybody that's ever had to take a serious course of antibiotics knows, you know, oh boy, does that do some interesting things. Oh, yes, it does. Hey, a um, couple of questions uh, that, that are specific to the, F, there, you know, we've had our, our, our string of 25-year-old guys that thought they were geniuses on there were Anyway, but a dude came in uh, yesterday morning, maybe it was Wednesday afternoon, and he was talking about how he owns one of these other exchanges and uh, was saying that that the Bitcoin is, is unique in the sense that it it trades really without, quote, I'll, I'll use the term a sponsor, at least one that we know of. And he was saying all the rest of them are essentially issued tokens which really should be treated like issued stock. And... I wouldn't. He goes basically said I wouldn't give you a nickel for any one of the other ones except for the Bitcoin. And the Bitcoin is fine. It's going to outlast everything and be this solution that everybody thought it was going to be. Uh, is that true? No. And, and it, well, okay. So what? <laughs> so let me back up a bit because it requires a little more nuance than a one-word answer. Yep. He's right in that all of these others essentially are a self-dealing circular firing squad. Okay. He's he's correct about that. Um, where he's wrong is that all of the all all currencies in general are a negative entropy gain. Okay, all currencies, I, even even U.S. dollars. Okay, in that it costs money to print twenty dollar bills or hundred dollar bills or whatever, uh, and and that that energy investment is lost. Now, in the case of cryptocurrencies. The energy investment is enormous because you you have to quote unquote mine them, and basically the way you do it is by solving a mathematical problem, and you you would consume enormous amounts of energy to do this. But the reason that fiat currencies are not instantly bankrupt is because the government can force you to put additional inputs into the currency, and they do. The, the government collects taxes. They, they can essentially force you to subsidize the printing of $100 bills. And not only that, they can force you to use them, thereby subsidize it again, because you have to pay your taxes in the United States in dollars. 
So as a result, there is an external forcing mechanism that makes the currency viable. Well, plus they do have some assets. I mean, they get aircraft carriers, they got bridges, they got roads. I mean, there's stuff. I mean, there's yeah, stuff well, there. I, yeah, I understand that. But the, but but the point is, is that the, even though all cur- all currencies are a negative sum game, right? I mean, digging gold out of the ground is a negative sum game because you have to you have to spend the energy in order to get the gold. Okay. However, currencies. National currencies have a forcing mechanism that prevents them from becoming instantly worthless. No cryptocurrency does because there's no forcing mechanism, and so you have all of these externalities. They, they are they are essentially all of them are the equivalent of going out behind your your office building and lighting hundred dollar bills on fire. You are burning up energy. And they are all thermodynamically bankrupt because there's no way to force external inputs into the. I'm, I'm with you. So the only reason they exist is because it's a confidence game. Somebody believes that there will be more value there tomorrow than there is today. But there is and yet there is somewhat uh, of a difference. Well, and, and for these for these things like Bitcoin that have a supposed limit of the total number that can ever be issued, it's even worse in that there is some percentage of these things that once lost, if you lose access to your wallet, those coins are gone forever. There's well, no way to replace I, I, them. I refuse to believe that because somebody's going to find them. Well, but you have to be able to unlock the chain. I, I mean, I'm not saying you. I'm saying the idea that there, 50 years from now there's going to be 10,000 bitcoins that nobody can get at. Somebody will find a way to get at them. Well, you know what? If you, can, if you figure out how to break the security on that, then they all become instantly worthless because I can steal them all. Uh, I, I I understand that, and you know way more about it. I'm just saying, human beings being human beings, it's like if I if I had a castle and I had 15 different little safes buried in the wall, someday somewhere somebody's gonna, if somebody knows that oh somebody's gonna figure out how to crack the safe, you bet. But I my, my, the question was, and what these guys were alluding to is there's a big difference between and again I don't know the answer between Bitcoin and the T what was it the uh, F F FTT, the token FTX, I- yeah. the, the token issued by FTX. He goes, that's just an right. issue that that has nothing. There, there, there is, but here, but here's the basic problem. Okay, if an exchange, think think about this, an exchange. How does an exchange go bankrupt from a run on the exchange? The only way it happens is if they stole the money. Whoa, 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 whoa! Man, I, I, one thing I know a lot of, Carl. You know more, more than me, and just about every an exchange. Other than the members, okay, which clear back and forth the money, and they, right? This this was a, a half, a half-assed exchange because they had huge amounts of customer money. The CBOE, the New York Stock Exchange, never have a, cust- a customer dime. Well, that's right. Yeah. So but when you see, say that's exchange, the, see, that's the entire point. If I, <laughs> an exchange, is 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 just that. It's a meeting place, right? Yeah. It's. It's a floor. It's a computer. It's a whatever where where a buyer and a seller meet, and the exchange funds its operations by essentially impo- imposing what amounts to a tax, a good transaction fee on on using their infrastructure. But okay, how does an exchange wind up unable to return to the owners what is the owners? And the answer is they stole it. Well, the answer <laughs> the answer is in the, in that function they were not an exchange. They were a brokerage firm, or a future. I, I don't even know that they're brokerage. You know, the thing is, is that it, it, you know, I mean, I, I, I have stocks. They're in street name, right at the, the brokerage. Um, 
if, it, 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 in theory, regulation is supposed to prohibit this kind of thing from happening, in that, okay, uh, I'm long, you know, IBM stock, uh, you want to short it, you borrow my shares, but if I want to sell those IBM shares, the exchange has to be able to call that short right. back in. Okay, but what let me, let me, we got a few minutes here. Let me start from the beginning. Because I find another thing you taught me that, that, that you uh, reinforced, it wasn't like the first time I heard of it, always go back to the basics. PTI, for instance, from time to time, back in the day when the CBOE was like the only place to do options on a lot of stuff, we were actually a member of the CBOE for a while. Okay, so now if somebody opens up an account at PTI, they send 25 50 whatever it is, Grand and open up account. Carl Deniger has an account at PTI Securities. He says, "Okay, we want you. We want you to go buy ten XYZ calls for me at this strike." Well, we would either have our person on the floor, or just call down to an independent broker and say, "Buy us X." And oh, by the way, it's going to go in this account. So, th- right. so we would. But now that that trade would go to the Option Clearing Corp. You are you are our customer. We are a member of, at the time, the NASD, and we happen to be a member of CBOE. But the, what allows us to do customer business is being a member of the NASD, not the CBOE. Um, so right. so that none of that money was ever at the CBOE. That's where the trade took place, and that's where. And it, but OCC realized that at our RBC, our clearing firm, now we bought it from somebody at Schwab. RBC, through OCC, owes Schwab the dough. It never runs through... The CBOE, New York Stock Exchange, right. same way. But now, what these guys did, they had like, they had a million customer accounts or something. Right, that's, that's they, were, they were actually hold, they were essentially a custodian. Yeah, and the problem is, is that they stole the cash. Well, they they borrowed against. It would be just it would just be well, like, yeah, but, but it wasn't theirs to borrow against. Well, I understand it, but for that to happen, <laughs> would that to happen normally? Is is if RBC, who your money is if you were to be a PTI client, Royal Bank of Canada, their clearing agent, uh, very solvent, by the way. Now, if, if you had 1,000 shares of IBM, which, you know, is worth today is 146 grand, all right, and you got that money in your account, or maybe you got an extra cash, it's they would borrow the money out of your account and replace it with XYZ, which is worth nothing. So they would, they would essentially, right. the collateral they put up to take the money from you, which you can't do in our business, um, they they put these things in there. They put in uh, what we call them Carl's currency, for lack of a better term, and they say everybody's whole. Well, all of a sudden, when Carl's currency drops eighty percent in a day, now all these places get wind of it, and Carl says, "Well, how about how about PTI sending me a check for my cash?" Well, if right. it, 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 all of a sudden you can't because well, the, the the token that you stuck in there isn't worth anything. Right. So I can't sell that anywhere. But now the question, Carl, I mean. Uh, we saw this with Madoff. That's why when people talk about this regulation, Carol, did, did they have a memory of a mosquito? For God's sake, we just went oh, through how, well, how I mean, many places. The, what do you, what, you know? What happened with Madoff? What ha, you know? What is what has happened time and time again? And and at the end of the day, the problem is that we have we and, and then when you look at what has occurred and why nobody stops it, the reason nobody stops it is as long as everything is going well. Everybody seems to be making money, but when you back this out and all of this, you know, back through, how much of the current trading price of all of these cryptocurrencies, including Bitcoin, only exists because of these shenanigans? Well, there's nothing to fall back on. 
Well, it's, that's exactly yeah, yeah. the problem. Is that there's no externality as there is with a you know with a national currency like dollars or euros or whatever have you. The only thing that's there, and I you know, and I look at this and I say, well, wait a minute. So you're telling me that that Bitcoin is you know is supposedly uh, sixteen six ten as of right now. Okay, how many more of these things are the reason that Bitcoin is sixteen six ten instead of sixteen sixty? Well, at least I'll pick one here because everybody knows the transportation average is easier to well, not easier to value because if it is, I'd know which way it was going up or down. But say UPS, say straight one hundred seventy seven fifty. That's what that's the market price, and that's that's the price. But I right. also know that if if there's times where if all of a sudden you know everybody in, in the C suite you know turned out to be a you know an alien from out of space, and we threw them all out of there. We could sell 90 bazillion trucks, 90 bazillion pieces of property. The shareholders would probably get, I'll pick a number. I don't think you're going to get 177.50, but you'd get, but you get something. You get 100, 100 and a quarter or something. I mean, there's all kinds of things that are there that have value. So, but uh, I guess my, my question comes why, why this regulation piece, people, what, what would possess anybody? I mean, you know what? I, 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 I'm going to pin all this. We only got a little bit here. But I'm going to pin a lot of this on the, on the Federal Reserve by making it so difficult for people to get 2 or 3%, even something minimal, on their risk-free money. They have an inflation rate of 8 or 9 or 10 or whatever you think it is. They've, they've caused, I mean, I, I'll say it one more time, and it may be the last time I'll ever say it, but if, when we do our FINRA stuff and all our different audits and all this other kind of stuff and our reviews and the new, the, the abuse they were, they're willing to give a firm for screwing around with somebody who's 70, 75, 80 years old for things that are, quote, not appropriate. Well, when there's when the risk-free interest rate is zero, I'm gonna, I'll challenge anybody from Finra to tell me there's a what the spread is before what they think is appropriate and what people 75 years old. They're willing to do anything for, and I'm not saying anything bad about them. I mean, it's not, I don't know people. I'm getting to be one. It's... It's they 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 have a deal here. They got their four hundred one k now an IRA. They're supposed to be making some income, and the government took that from them. I'll, I'll bet you that the uh, the million clients for these place. I'll bet you half of them are over sixty. Yeah. Just yeah. just looking for something. Maybe not half because there's a lot of young people really love this stuff. But but I'm saying this is Carl. We got a lot of stuff. I'm gonna try. Uh, I'm not sure if, if we're gonna get a producer next Friday. If we don't. Um, I'll probably uh, ask if you want to pile in a little bit with Kevin on Wednesday because I can't go a week without a Carl fix. Oh, yeah, I will gotcha. say now. No problem. Uh, Friday, I don't think Friday we're going to have anyone. <laughs> All right, because my three guys are, uh, unless I can drag Angelica off the scrap heap, which would be great because I'd love to see her. Uh, she's not working, but uh, she's probably doing something with her mom. So we probably won't have a show next Thursday, Friday, but maybe somebody will be in town Friday. If so, I'll grab you I'll grab you earlier in the week. SP Features up 34, Dan's up 116. Today's show was great. You were great. Uh, Dr. Johnson was good. Kevin in studio. I enjoyed it. I uh, hope everybody else did. Back, back on Monday, Stacks and Jacks. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI ProDirect. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708 349 3456. 
Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. Cairo Med. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. Dax Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968.